Good evening, LCM. Tonight is January 26, 2023. In church, this is an exciting time that we're experiencing as a church. We're beginning to see 20, 30-year visions coming to life that were given to us through our fathers. And now they're taking shape and form and substance. And now we're receiving vision from on high. We're receiving marching orders that will affect the generations. We're setting out in new ways. Amen? We've broken barriers. We've grown in the call of discipleship. We're hurtling forward towards God's glorious plan. And today, we're beginning to see the vision become reality of the church reaching out into the world as a united arm. Come on, Uncle Charlie. Reflecting on God's big picture plan for us as a body, it reminds us of Isaiah 46. Y'all go with us to Isaiah 46 in your Bibles, in your physical Bibles, and in your hearts. Because it's an honor to be in this body and watch what God is doing. Watching these these things take shape and take form. Verse 9 says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Church, that is the character of our God that has not changed, and that is what we are seeing and we are living in in this very moment. He knows our end from the beginning. He knew what we would become before we even got started. Praise God for that. He knew our purpose. He always had these plans and this direction in mind for us. We have a high calling that you have been destined to, LCM. You sit in the seats. You have a high calling that God ordained long before you got here. And we still realize, we still realize that there are areas within us that need to be destroyed so that we can accomplish all that he had for us. Did you hear the prophecy from Pastor Eric in, in worship? We have that. Diacrino. Diacrino, not diachronos. But guys, we have some good news. That doesn't surprise the Lord. He is going to have victory, and he's going to have it through us. Turn with us to Matthew 13. Pick it up in verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who in finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Do you know you've been bought? Do you know that? Do you know you've been bought? You've been bought. And when the Lord looked around, he searched the whole field before he bought it. He knew what he was getting into before he bought the field. He knew that we needed work before he bought the field. He knew that we have diacrino like Peter and Cornelius had, and yet he still bought us anyway. Even with the rocks, even with the weeds, with it all, he still bought it because he had a plan for it. Somebody say, praise God. God. Turn with us to Acts 10, picking up in verse 20. 
we let that revelation sit on us and don't just let it be something that we read and, and think about today. But you, re, let the revelation sit on you, on your worst day, on your best day. When you find that thing that is really, really nasty and ugly, he already knew. You didn't shock him. As a matter of fact, he's the one that revealed it to you so that it could be removed. That is a faithful father. Picking up in verse 20, it says in the ESV, rise and go down. Stand up and go down. And accompany them without hesitation. You know what this word means from Sunday, without diacrino. For I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? Peter went down to the men. He was told by the Lord that what God has made clean, no man should call unclean. He thought of himself as elevated and these other men as common. It was the common practice of the day. He had been, he had been told the same thing three times before the men arrived. It's interesting the, the amount of times that uh, Peter is told something three times for it to really sink in. I'm just like Peter. <laughs> it's interesting because it's me, <laughs> and I know it's you too. He had some diacrino going on, some differences of opinion. His opinion was different from God's opinion, right? And oftentimes we are finding as we engaged with, uh, with Sunday, we are finding that we have some different opinions, some different opinions than what God has about us, right? Peter had to have his perspective brought down to match God's. Not brought down to the depths, but he was being lowered so that he could actually match the revelation that God was trying to give him. And that is a blessing when we are humbling ourselves like that. Let's go to verse 25. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up. I too am a man. Cornelius, on the other hand, he didn't need to look down. Peter went and pulled him up. His perspective had to be lifted up to match God's perspective. He thought of himself less worthy. He thought of himself more common than this real, great, amazing man of God that I could never be. We had this moving time at the altar on Sunday, didn't we? Yep. Where we had to confront these areas in our lives where we've been looking down and too low. Lord, I can't. I don't know how. And instead, the Lord had to lift us up out of that muck, out of that mire, and set us on a rock and let us move forward in him and in his plan. We know we're called. We know we're chosen. We might even know we're capable. Like, we understand it. It, It's a concept. It's an idea. We get it. Yet, oftentimes, don't we act like we don't know that? Got to make that 18-inch journey down to our heart. If somebody looked at our actions, sometimes they would say, this guy doesn't look like he's chosen or capable. Is that true? Okay. So what does the Lord have to do? He elevates us. He lifts us up. Amen. The truth is we've all been brought down at times and have to be lifted up. And oftentimes we're looking up too high and the Lord has to set us on right footing. We experience this diacrino within ourselves. We're, we're men with two different opinions warring inside us. We're like the waves tossed to and fro. 
Oh, but the Lord comes in and he brings us into perfect peace with him so that we can do his will. He did it on your first day. He did it yesterday. He's doing it right now. And he will continue to do it because that is who he is. He is the God that calls the end from the beginning. Yes, praise the living God. See, what my brother is saying here is that we, if you can say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a lot like Peter or I'm a, I'm a lot like Cornelius. But the truth of the, of the matter is we got a little bit of both. We got a whole lot of both, actually. The problem with the Peter-like or Cornelius-like tendency in our hearts is that there's discrimination there. There is blatant discrimination. Oh, yeah, I'm talking to you. You discriminate. I mean, Diacrino. Did y'all think we were pulling a race card? You know me better than that. You know I might laugh about it. No, we're not pulling a race card. But that's not because that's not the problem. Neither is any other external barrier that sets itself up against the unity that lies in the kingdom of God. Every answer for every problem you will ever have in the world starts and ends with repentance and redemption by the blood of Jesus, right? But the problem is that you and I discriminate. I mean, diacrino ourselves. And we do it to our brothers as well. That is why, henceforth, we make a proclamation from this day forward that we establish the what is it, Caleb? The Anti-Defamation League. Nope, that's not it. No, they already have that. The, the Anti-Discrimination <laughs> League. No, no. Nope. Close. Close, but no cigar. Oh, I got it. The, the Anti-Diacrino anti League. That's it. We are your officers. That's the title of tonight's message. The Anti-Diacrino League. Got to work real hard to get that one right. In this league of extraordinary gentlemen, we will help, uh, help one another destroy every ounce of diacrino in us. We will hunt it, we will find it, and we will kill it. Tonight, we're going to talk about the absolute question of diacrino and what motivates us to do so. Because it's not macho bravado. It's not just because you, you want to be good enough. There's something that comes from outside of us that had nothing to do with us but that fixes this problem for us. And we want to apply that solution tonight. But first, let's get back to our story, okay? Cornelius brought himself low. He bowed down. You guys remember? We just, we just talked about it. You guys remember? He accepted that he didn't have all the answers. But I have a question for you. He brought himself down. But was Cornelius being humble? Was he being humble? We Not often, the humility that God wanted to teach him. Yeah, we, we think of humility often as putting ourselves down. I'm not as good as him. Oh, that brother's so amazing, you know. But, you know, I could never do what he does. And we think that's humble. It's not. That's disgusting. Yeah, I've, I've never brought myself low to compliment another brother. I've never done that. Yeah. Actually, I have a lot. And passed away is good to me. He slaps me right upside the head. That was intentional. I could never do what he's doing. I could never go through what he's going through. Is that humility? No. No. Jesus was humble, but Jesus didn't have that kind of attitude. That kind of attitude does not reflect Christ. Jesus wasn't this neurotic mess. He didn't complain about, man, I would do something for the people, but right now I'm just a man. 
and I can't. He didn't act like that. I gotta he wait till I perfect it. Yeah. He he knew exactly who he was, who his father was, and he acted with confidence. And that was humility. The truth is, humility is neither thinking of yourself too low or too high. Humility is accepting God's opinion of you as fact above all. Say it again. Say it again, please. Humility is accepting God's opinion of you as fact above all. Jesus walked lowly. Yet he still knew who he was. He was able to make himself low because he knew who he was in regards to his father. Let's turn to John 13. We're going to see this. This is one of our favorite passages here. Uh, As we've gotten a chance to go overseas uh, and be with the future Turkey-Romania team and everything in between, the revelation that we got in John 13 is really what, it's what made us stand out. They couldn't understand us so that we could teach them, but they could see us walking in this revelation, walking in the love for our brothers, and that is what caused people to question, why are you here? Why, uh, one guy even started following us, and uh, I think Bim and uh, Judah, or Bim and Trixie took care of that. He followed us for the rest of the day. They didn't do anything to him. John 13, 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Hmm. Have you had anybody wash your feet? Like, like, like physically? Yeah, it's awkward. Is, is, it, a, is it a humbling experience? And wiped them with the towel that he had just wrapped around them. Mind you that they have the revelation now that he is the son of God. He had no problem taking a towel and washing someone's feet. Because he knew his father. He taught his disciples the proper way to walk humbly. He was, come on uh, our Talmudim students. He was modeling and lavishing on them in this very moment. His heart was undivided. He gave everything he had with nothing left. Of himself. The proper way to walk humbly is to know who you are and who your father is. When you understand it, and I mean, not just know it up here, not just mentally agree to it, but when you live in the revelation of who he is and who you are and what he's already given you, there are no insecurities that lead you into the way of a divided soul. There is no diacrino. Notice, neither Peter nor Cornelius was right. The error was a lack of perspective. They didn't understand who they were in relationship to their father. Peter thought he was being righteous by telling the Lord no. Cornelius thought he was being humble by bowing down to a man. Both were wrong. They had to remove the diacrino within themselves And both required a little correction. How many of us love correction in here? Correction is the only thing to get you right. But just because they needed some correction, their stories didn't end. Isn't that the fear that we have? 
We're like, oh, man, I, I want to get this right so I don't have to be corrected because if I don't get corrected, uh, then everybody's going to think I'm good. But if I do get corrected, then I'm a failure and everybody's going to see I'm a failure. That's not godly. Read your Bible. That's not godly. Godly men step out in faith. They do the Lord's will and are obedient. And when they get it wrong, the Lord is faithful to correct them because he loves them. He's a good father. Too often when, when, when I see, receive correction, I, I feel like that. I, I, get, I get messed up in my head. I'm like, oh, I'm undone. I failed. The Lord has to come in and remove that diacrino from me. Look, the father was not caught off guard by their correction. He wasn't caught off guard by their failure, by their error. It wasn't their undoing. His plans weren't thwarted because his plans endure. Look, let's go to Romans chapter 5. To, to really let this sit on us in a way that changes our perspective, in a way that we walk out of here, we got to go back to the, to the beginning. The beginning for you and me and the beginning for Israel. Did God find Israel already princes, already exalted? Or did he find them as slaves and he walked them through the desert and he turned them into princes, right? That's the same thing that he's done with us. And when we let that revelation sit on us, that we're about to engage with in Romans 6. I know you've heard it, like Pastor said, it's been quilted. But let this revelation from Romans 5 affect the way you see yourself, the way you see everybody in your house. Because I promise you, it has been changing the way that we live and the way that we walk, and it's going to do the same for you. Romans 5, starting in verse 6, in the Old and Faithful 84. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, powerless, without ability, helpless, powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That was me. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man some might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more, Bim? How much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God? When we get the fact that this, is, this did not start for us where we started with the A, and then we, we were working not to lose a grade. No, we started at the lowest alphabet. We started past the F. We started in slavery, and we were brought into kingship by his blood. You didn't earn it. You weren't good enough. Newsflash, neither was I. Let's not be surprised about it, right? And we know that in the beginning, but this is a continual process that this revelation has to change the way we live daily. We have to dust this off daily, the fact that at my worst state, at my lowest, he died for me. See, while we may discriminate, we may diacrino ourselves, his blood doesn't. His blood did not discriminate. I've been wrestling with this revelation. Even the people in the world that are lost as all get out, he died for them. Now, the blood is yet to be applied in a way that brings about transformation, but the fact still remains is that he died for them. Did he die for you to live 
as a lower standard of human being than you are called to be? That's not why he died. And it's not something you really have to live up to. It's something you have to take in and be humble and realize the fact that, no, he died for me to stand where I'm standing. So I'm going to stand full of faith. He died for me to walk how I'm walking, for me to raise the, my family the way he's shown me. He died so that I could have victory, Ibrahim. So I'm not accepting anything else than that. I'm not allowing my mind, I'm not allowing the, the diacrino to work its way in there. It does not belong. He died for this, saints. His plans don't get sidetracked because of your failure. Remember, he uses those. He started from the bottom. He chose you. He already knew what he was getting into, and he chose you anyway. If you want to talk about a humbling experience, think about the father sending his son to die and spill his blood so that you might live. Think about that. Put yourself in that position. Somebody else's son was slain so that you might live. Do you think that he should? He, he expects you to then go and live the same way? No. And we get distraught and dismayed when we're like, oh, but it's, it's something in there that still wants to live that way. Okay, kill it. <laughs> Apply his blood again. This is an ongoing uh, process, and we're going to live in the power that comes from this revelation. Reflecting on that should elevate you to know that you are worth saving. And it should properly put yourself into perspective that you had nothing, but he loved you anyway. The humility that the Lord gives us destroys diacrino. When we know who we are, what he's done for us, how can we be divided within ourselves? How can we think that I'm something, that I can mess this up? Like, the Lord is going to work through me if I'm just obedient to him and faithful with what he's given me to do. Leviticus 17.11, you don't have to turn there. But for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. The blood he shed for us, it's the most costly, most worthy substance that could ever be. And it's not lacking in its ability to atone for every area of your life. It gave us life and life in every way and for every mistake. His blood is sufficient. It's sufficient to save. It's sufficient to redeem. It's sufficient to redeem even your failures. Especially. Especially your, your failures. Pastor Matt was, was talking earlier. He, he was saying, not one thing, not one failure is wasted in your life. You know why it's not wasted in your life? Because not one drop of blood has been wasted. Not one drop of blood has been wasted on redeeming every area of your life. Every drop was shed for every failure, and every failure has been redeemed to break barriers for others. Let's be honest, though. Are you tempted to, to see an area of your life that, that the blood has not been, uh, been applied to yet? He's like, oh, that one there, though. That one there, though. His blood didn't work for that one. That is pride. That is the height of arrogance and it's sin. It must be destroyed. That is the offering that we got to bring. 
any diacrino that you send yourself, that is the right offering because his blood is precious. And when we get that revelation, not only that it should be precious to us, like I wanted to, but I'm not living up to it. No, his blood is powerful. When we get that revelation, it changes everything about the way we walk. I can tell you out of my own life, the most productive seasons, the most uh, productive times in my life and in my family's life, they've come right out of failure. They've come right out of screw-ups. Anything I tell you that sounds right is because I got it wrong. But what happened in this is that in those areas where I, and it's a, it's a decision. Some things you don't get to decide, this is a decision. Nope. The area where I screwed up, where I feel like a failure, his blood covered it. I'm not going to count his blood as not worthy to cover even that because his blood is precious. It's precious to the Father, so it's precious to me. And in every area where you might be tempted, where I might be tempted to wallow in self-pity, no, I stand up. You stand up, and you live like the redeemed son of God that he died to make you. Those are the most powerful times in our lives. So you know what we're not looking for? We're not looking to get, get around them. We're looking to go through them so we come out of it with a greater revelation of who we are, who he is, and how powerful the name of Jesus is because that's what the world needs. It's an ongoing process. Do you, do you hear us saying that? You don't do this once. The problem maybe is that we thought like, oh, it was good then, but it's not good now. No, pride. It's an ongoing process, and his blood is still at work in my life. God does not waste his son's blood. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19 says, you know that from your empty way of life, this is in a swish, your empty way of life, you inherited from your ancestors, you were ransomed, not by perishable things like silver and gold, but by precious blood like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb, namely Christ. We were redeemed from an empty way of life. Praise God for that. But there's also still some Peter and some Cornelius in, in context of the scripture that we're reading tonight because those men were awesome. There is some, some diacrino left in us. And you know what? That's, from a, that's, that's a remnant. That's, a, that's, that's leftovers that has to die and that will die when we value the blood of Christ that he shed for us and the power that's in that statement. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, and that price is higher than anyone could ever pay. When you begin, especially you, it's higher than you can pay. So don't try. Live in what he's already given you. When you begin to understand who you are and the price that was paid for you, it changes the way you live. We are compelled to action. Our lives are not ours. Our masters now sends us wherever he wants us to go. Turn with us to 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal 
through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. You must be reconciled to God. There's no way around it. It's the only way to life. You must be reconciled to God. But we get to be reconciled to God. And you have been. You have been reconciled by the blood of Christ. He chose us. He chose you. And he poured out his son's blood for you that we might be brought close to him. That's some good news. That's the best news. It's also crushing death. We now have to go and bring this reconciliation wherever the master sends us. Send me, Lord. He bought us with a price we cannot repay. All we can do is be obedient to the master that bought us. Your reconciliation becomes a ministry to reconcile others. Did any of you think you weren't supposed to be in ministry? Like maybe I'm not supposed to be in full-time ministry the rest of my life? No, you all have a ministry of reconciliation because you have been reconciled to Christ. You have to reconcile yourself. You have to be reconciled to Christ. Then what? You bring your family in. You reconcile them to Christ. Then what? You bring your neighbors in. You reconcile them to Christ. Then what? You bring the nations and you reconcile them to Christ. He could have sent anybody, but he sent you. You're here. He could have put anybody in the gas station that one day when that person was crying, but he sent you to speak to them and bring life to them. He could have sent anybody to the gym to speak to the person working behind the counter, but he sent you, and you brought life to them. He could have sent anybody, but he sent you. And why did he send you? Because he loves them. Bearing this weight, it doesn't take an arrogance. We don't need good self-esteem. All we need to do is walk humbly and be obedient. And when we walk humbly and we're obedient to what our master is leading us to do, we win. Because he wins. Honestly, it's, it's not even that hard to imagine a hundred years down the road of us continuing to make disciples. We get to a million people, like easily. Like a hundred years, a million people, it's nothing. But, but also think about the weight of those disciples on you. It requires you to produce disciples. It requires you to live the life, the godly life that others can follow. The way you pastor your home doesn't just affect you and your home. It affects the generations. The way you pastor your children and you raise them up into godly adults that serve the Lord and will do amazing things more than you could ever do. It doesn't just affect them or you. It affects the generations. That's perspective. It's perspective. When I first came to LCM, the Lord the Lord showed me like a revelation. And it's like, man, you're not just pastoring your wife. You're pastoring your son's wives through pastoring your wife because they're learning by looking at you. 
And I just, I, I went down the, the, the line, and, and it, it got overwhelming. It was too much weight. I had diacrino inside of me. I just felt like the weight, I just couldn't get low enough into the carpet. The weight, it's crushingly humble. But then the Lord, he lifts us up. You say, yes, Lord. And you I just, will do it. You just obey. You just obey. What step today has he given you to do? Are you going to do it or not? Are you going to be obedient in this moment? Are you going to be faithful right now? Abraham set off a huge journey, but he set off with one step. Every day was a new day of obedience, which led to a life of obedience, which led to generations. And here we are, sons of Abraham. He bore the weight through obedience, through humility. There is world-changing power when we can shed our blood like Christ. When we are crushed, when we are pierced through your elevation, through your degradation, personal struggle, trials, failures, they come, they have come. Failures can be redeemed. We don't need to be afraid to fail because it's his blood and his blood isn't wasted. He died for us to win, so he's going to receive his victory in me. He's going to receive his victory through you because he died for you. Turn with us to Romans 8.32. So I know I took a new job. I've been in sales for about nine months now. And it's not super difficult for me to walk into somebody's office and just talk to them. Like, it's not, I can cold call. Like, I, I don't mind. Like, but this, what, the other morning, I woke up and I was getting ready to go talk to somebody in a way that I had no idea. I'd been stonewalled every time I'd go, I tried to go talk to them. And so I woke up with a little trepidation. And literally, the first thing that came to my mind when I woke up in the morning was, I did not die for you to fail. And, and that was, that was di diacrino in me. First thing in the morning, first thought. And there the revelation was right there with it. I did not die so that you would fail. I died so that you would abound in the work of God. This is the work of God. So stand up, put your clothes on, and go do what I've sent you to go do. Yeah. Romans 8.32, it says, he who did not spare his own son. And again, you've heard this before, but I want you to walk through it with me, like the Lord is, is piercing my heart with it. He who didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously with him give us all things? If he didn't spare his own son, if he allowed his blood to be shed for you, do you think that he would, okay, this works at the beginning of your walk, or this worked ye yesterday, but, you know, you tapped out today. So flounder and fail. That's not who he is. He calls the end from the beginning. He is the God that gives you victory when you walk in this revelation. In whatever it is. I, I said work. I said I talked about work. What about pastoring your wife? What about you showing the areas where God has covered you by his blood and being redeemed so that you could break barriers in her life? And what about your family? What about your children? You showing the areas of redemption in your life so that your children 
might have barriers broken so that you go be you can go be an example to the nations. Whatever it is, whatever your flavor of the day is, he didn't die for you to fail. He died for you to overcome. His blood was not shed for us to lose, and his blood is powerful and still is. Knowing you can't lose, victory assured, you must realize an additional revelation. He didn't save you for you. He saved you to send you to them. He loved them so much that he might send you. This is the concept from John 3.16. He does it with you, saints. He walks you through this revelation because we have both of these things at work in us. We have, we have two different opinions at work in us, and he walks us through the revelation. If we grab hold of the fact that, man, he didn't shed his blood to feel, so you know what, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to win. I don't got to feel like it. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to obey because he has promised victory. When you know that because of his redemptive acts, he has provided everything that you need to succeed in the calling, does it make you want to stand up a little taller on the inside? Does it make you want to say, come hell or high water, we're going to get this done? Once you understand that you have what you need, you then realize that it wasn't just for you. It was for them. And you can now give others what they need. Go back with us to Romans 5. Pick it up in verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for them. They don't even know it yet. They don't even know it yet in Romania. They don't even know it yet in Serbia. They don't even know it yet in Turkey. They don't even know. They don't know the glory that's just on the other side of the gospel. Maybe they might even understand it in a concept, but they haven't experienced it like you and I have. So what do we have to do? We have to go and show them. Show them by our walk. We have to show them what walking redemption looks like. He chose you to deliver this message. The same blood that qualifies you calls out to them. He gave you everything that they need. You know how he gives you everything that, that they need? As you fail and he picks you back up, you have hope. As you experience loss, you bring them hope and joy. As you experience persecution, you show them what redemption really looks like. You show them by what you have gone through. We aren't going through all this for nothing. We're going through all this because the Lord has a plan to redeem it for them. With this attitude, we start to turn our focus to the nations. We turn our focus towards God's beating heart. His heart that we've adopted as our own. So we mentioned John 3.16 earlier. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? 
Well, if we engage with the revelation that we're talking about tonight, what he did started something, right? What he did, it started something, but the work's not finished. His work is accomplished, but ours is not. He died for, for you to receive that redemption, right? To have his blood cover over your sins and call you to be a son of God. Well, what begins to happen then and what that necessitates is that you stand up and you do the same thing for the world. You are called to repair the world. We're called to remove all the diacrino in the world because it's being removed from us. Takun Haolam, Tristan. We're called to go and repair the world by first removing the diacrino in us, then removing it from our wife, then removing it from our children until we make it all the way to the nations and we know how to do it in them because he's done it in us. Matthew 4. We're going to be in Matthew for a little while. Matthew 4, 19 says, he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. In Matthew, Jesus calls his disciples to radically follow him into his way of life. And he promised to make them fishers of men. This is who you are, LCM. Every family in this place have, have heard the call to follow this way of life, to follow the Lord. And you've done it. And you know what? He has made, he has made you and is making you into fishers of men. This leads to Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. As they followed him, they became like him. He said, I'll make you fishers of men. As they continued to follow him, he said, it's not over. Continue following me as I take up my cross, you take up yours. He meant for them to follow him in a daily crucifixion. And here at LCM and all across the One Association, you guys, we have not shrunk back from death. You welcome it into your lives because you know that his redemption blood washes over everything that you offer up to the Lord as a burnt offering. But he takes that offering and he uses it to break down barriers. He uses it to reach nations. He uses it to save the lost. He uses it to make dead men live. As you've denied Diacrino, you've taken up your cross and you've followed him. Amen. Do you think the disciples were thankful for what Jesus did in, the, in their life? How do you know they were thankful? Because it didn't stop with them. He didn't just, they didn't just receive it. Thank you for redeeming us, Lord. Thank you for breathing your Holy Spirit onto us. No. You know it because they spent their lives laying down their lives until they lost their lives and picked it up and back again in eternity. That is what he is doing in our body. Matthew 28, 19 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now that these barriers have, have been and are being broken down in you, you bring this barrier, breaking power to the nations. So let's think about Romans 5 again. He didn't just die for you. He died for them. Right? And it's still pending. Like, 
It hasn't, the, the blood hasn't been applied yet, but they're waiting on it. And he saw fit to send you. I used to look at that map and wonder how. Like, how are we going to do that? Now I know it's just a matter of time. It's a matter of time and it's a matter of obedience because I'm not doubting what he's done for me anymore. And you are not doubting who he is in your life. You're not doubting the power of his blood to accomplish what he said he would in us. When we stand up in his revelation, I promise you, it changes everything. And we're going to stand up in it. That's our direction. We're going to stand up and walk in the fact that, hey, couldn't earn it, not worthy. Okay, done. That's agreed upon. But I'm not going to devalue what he has done. I'm going to stand up in the revelation, and I'm going to live out the calling of God on my life. As we get ready to close, turn with us to Revelation 5. And we're going to forecast the jubilant celebration that we're going to be a part of because we took this serious. Because we said, you know what? Your blood is worth it. Your blood is powerful. And what you have done in me, I must go bring it to the ends of the earth. In Revelation 5, 9, they were singing a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were killed. At the cost of your own blood, you have purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. What do you have to offer your wife and your children and the people beyond these four walls in the nations? It's the costliness of his blood that has redeemed your life. What he has done for you is what you get to bring to them. You get to show them by your walk, by your example, and show them, yes, it is possible for dead men to live because I was once dead, and now I'm alive. I was once blind, but now I can see. I was once in chains, but now I'm free. Peter broke down the diacrino within him. And he opened that door to the, he opened the door of the gospel to all Gentiles. That's us. Cornelius broke down the diacrino within him and he brought the gospel to his whole house. It was by the blood. The blood redeemed him. The blood set them free. And the blood gave them a mission. It gave them a call. They were reconciled with Christ so that they might bring a ministry of reconciliation. They were ambassadors to the world. And it was his costly blood that made the way. Stand up with us. If you haven't caught it yet, you're all officers in the anti-diacrino league. Matthew 25, 14 says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them his property. If he entrusted them his property, he entrusted you with his son's blood. He entrusted you with redemption, with power from on high. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. 
And so also he who had two talents made two talents more. These talents that he's given you is everything that he has redeemed in your life. Has God redeemed something in your life? Rick Lawhon, has God redeemed something in your life? Talk to me, Rick. Has he redeemed something in your life? That's what you have to give. That's what you have to offer. And it's enough. Go and put those to work. And prom- I, I trust you keep living, and he's going to have more to redeem. And guess what? You're going to have more talents. The talents are effective because his blood has sanctified them. He made them holy. If we are obedient to the task he has given us, we will not lose. And you know what? We will be obedient, so we shall not lose. We are going to be busy being obedient, not in diacrino. We don't bury what he's given us. We don't forget who we are. We know that we were bought with his blood, so we live like it. As we close, having our Peter and our Cornelius traits, our diacrino, redeemed by the blood of the lamb, we're going to worship the lamb. We're going to run with the talents or the redemption that he's already given us. And we're going to bring his salvation to the nations.